Our sermon text for today is Genesis chapter 20. We're going to go back to the book of Genesis after a uh, brief break. Genesis 20, and I'll read the whole chapter. As you will remember, God had um, appeared to Abraham. There were these three angels, or three men, they looked like men, uh, who came to him and his uh, tent and had given him a promise, further details about the promise, about his son and heir that would come from Sarah and come within a, you know, in a year's time. A little ambiguity, I think, whether it's conceived in a year or born in a year, but in any case, the time had come uh, that this child would be born of Sarah. But not only did they go to Abraham, but they also went to Sodom. Uh, Two angels went to Sodom, and we saw uh, last time we were in Genesis, the destruction of Sodom, how God remembered Lot and brought out his, him and his household, um, and then uh, judged Sodom and Gomorrah and a couple other cities in the plain uh, for the great uh, sinfulness that they demonstrated uh, on the occasion when the angels came to Sodom. But now we return to Abraham. He saw the smoke ascending from those cities of the plain, perhaps because of the destruction caused and the turmoil in the aftermath. For one reason or another, he goes on the move and moves uh, to Gerar, to the southwest uh, of the land of Canaan. So let's pick up there, chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negeb and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us, and how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, She is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, This is the kindness you must do me. At every place to which we come, say of me, 
he is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you, and before everyone you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female slaves, so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray for God's blessing upon his word. Lord God, we thank you for revealing to us your works of old, your care for your people, who you have bound yourself to by covenant. We are that people as well, uh, children of Abraham, uh, claiming that same faith in the promises through Jesus Christ. We pray, therefore, that you would instruct us and build us up uh, by your word, which is written for our instruction. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As a background to this text, it's important to remember what God had promised Abraham. God had given many promises, great and precious promises to Abraham. Uh, I have summarized them as four, uh, that God would have blessed fellowship with Abraham, that God would give land to Abraham and his offspring. He would give him offspring uh, and give him abundant offspring, and also that through Abraham and his offspring, he would bless all the nations of the earth. So worldwide blessing. Blessed fellowship, land, offspring, and worldwide blessing. And God, as part of that blessing, had promised to bless those who blessed Abraham, and the one who dishonors Abraham, God would curse. You know, God allied himself with Abraham. He would be his servant, and the Lord would look out for him and protect him. Not only that, but as I mentioned, in chapters 17 through 18, God had specified that this heir, this promised son, through whom these uh, promises would be fulfilled through his line, that that son would come from Sarah. It would not come from Hagar. There would be a son from Sarah in particular. And not only that, but there was a time uh, that was given. Uh, the clock was, was ticking that this promise would be fulfilled in the coming year. And uh, so these things have been promise to Abraham as he arrives in Gerar. And in verses 1 through 2, we find that he comes to Gerar, this land kind of to the southwest of Canaan, uh, land of the Philistines. The uh, majority of the Philistines probably came to that land later. A lot of them came from uh, actually like Greece and some of that area. But it seems that some had arrived earlier, kind of from Greece by way of Egypt. Uh, in any case, it was a different people. They weren't Canaanites, but they lived in this land of Gerar, and they had a king, and the king's name was Abimelech. And as they come to this new land, this new foreign land, um, Sarah and Abraham both say that they are brother and sister, uh, that they are, you know, this is my sister, this is my brother. Um, and the question, of course, arises, was Abraham and Sarah uh, right in what they did? You know, a lot of sermons, if you just look through sermon audio on sermons on chapter 20, a lot of it's about, you know, reoccurring sins. And that's 
the, the point of this chapter. At least that's what a lot of people, uh, how a lot of people preach on it. Because we've seen this thing before, right? Uh, Abraham and Sarah called each other brother and sister when they came to Egypt uh, at the beginning of their sojourning, sojourning, what, 25 years or so before. Uh, something that they sinned by deceiving Abimelech. Uh, but others things that they did not sin in what they did. Uh, so there's some debate on their actions here. Now, in this passage, unlike the other passage, we get a little more information about why he did what he did. I, really, in both cases, it's explained. But from his own mouth, we find in verses, uh, you know, to Abimelech, verses 11 through 13, uh, what he said was true, that Sarah was his sister. Of course, to our eyes, that doesn't really help him out because you're not supposed to marry your sister. Uh, but those uh, laws were not given yet. And of course, in the earliest generations, that sort of thing had to happen and seems to have been uh, accepted at the time, but would not be right for us to do uh, today, or even in the days of Moses, uh, that was made plain. But it was true that uh, she was uh, his sister, um, but they did withhold information, obviously, about their marriage. And the reason they did that was because they feared the men of the place. They feared that they would kill Abraham and take Sarah. Uh, and they saw that there was no fear of God at all in this place. And Bimelech says, what did you see that you did this thing? Well, this is what we saw. We saw there was no fear of God in this place. And then not only that, but this was their standard practice when they came to a new area. Abraham says, when I left my father's house, when he left the security of living in a place where they had uh, kin and connections and support, um, that he asked Sarah to do this act of, of kindness or steadfast love or loyalty, that word hesed, um, that as a way to show this kindness to him to say that's, that this is my brother. That way, Abraham could be protected. They wouldn't try to kill him because even the pagans did not want to do, uh, commit adultery. They saw that as a great sin, but you, you could kill him and then take the wife and then it wouldn't be adultery anymore. Um, they were more likely to do that. So this way, Abraham would not be killed. He would still be a brother. And at that time, a brother would still be uh, her guardian and protector, as we'll later see with um, negotiations during Re- Rebecca's uh, marriage. And so he could have held off Uh, most other men and suitors as her brother. But if he was killed, Sarah still would have been taken, and his whole household would have been vulnerable to a takeover. Now, if Abraham Abraham, Abraham was telling Sarah to sin, uh, Sarah should not have sinned, right? She should have uh, disobeyed better to obey God uh, and disobey man than the other way around. Um, I tend to think that the plan was justified as self-defense, that Sarah is to be commended for her obedience. Uh, Deception is normally wrong. It's wrong to lie, to bear false witness. But Scripture does seem to allow for an exception in the case of a hostile enemy who is seeking to kill the innocent. A similar exception as in the use of violence. It's wrong to kill, right? Uh, But there is an occasion where In the defense of life, one might kill someone who is seeking to kill you. Um, Certainly, 1 Peter holds forth Sarah as an example of a woman who fearlessly obeyed her husband. doesn't say that this is what Peter has in mind, but it is perhaps the most significant act of her obedience to Abraham that's described at length 
in Genesis. Now, if this deception is justified, then Sarah would join others in Scripture who used deception to preserve life against an aggressor when other ways of resisting were not available, like the Hebrew midwives who preserved the male children of Israel, Rahab who preserved the spies, Jael who deceived and killed Sisera, Michael who deceived her own father and preserved David, and Esther who hid her Jewish identity and preserved herself and her people. But I don't even think that's the main point of the passage. Uh, Whether or not uh, they were justified in what they did or not, uh, the main point is that it still didn't work. It still wasn't enough to save them. Uh, The scheme was not enough to deliver them. All their best efforts, their might, their schemes still was not enough. They only used the scheme because they were already vulnerable as sojourners in a strange land. As Psalm 105 says, they were few in number of little accounts and sojourners in it. And uh, that's why they used the scheme to begin with, but the scheme was not foolproof. Someone as powerful as the king, or as Pharaoh, as we saw earlier, uh, was powerful enough just simply to take her without asking her brother or even her consent uh, for it. Abimelech was powerful enough to ignore her guardian and simply send and take her. Uh, Whether or not Abraham and Sarah sinned in what they said, uh, the main point is their powerlessness and their dependence upon God to fulfill his promises. This was going to be a miracle, not only that she would conceive in such an old age, but she now who had been taken by King Abimelech would be restored to Abraham so that she could conceive this promised son. And so Abimelech, as we see in verse 2, takes Sarah. Uh, It seems without her consent or the permission of her brother, certainly he would have brought that up later if they had told her, yes, you can marry me. Uh, Instead, he simply says, you didn't tell me that she was married. We don't know if it was for her beauty or for power, but one reason or another, he sent and took her. Now, there was probably a purpose at work that even Abimelech wasn't aware of. We know from the beginning of Genesis that the serpent was at war with the woman and her offspring, Uh, that there was conflict and enmity and strife that was seeking to prevent God's work of redemption, uh, work of the devil. In Revelation, we find him portrayed as this serpent that's seeking to kill the offspring from the woman in labor. And here we have this opposition that is offered by King Abimelech. The serpent was at war, probably had sought one way or another to push things to go in this direction. It was particularly the promise regarding the offspring that was threatened by this action of Abimelech. God had promised to give him the son in a year's time, and now everything seems in uh, danger that she is taken. Um, She is taken into the harem of another man before conceiving this son. Abraham was powerless. If he spoke up, he could have been just as easily killed then as, as earlier, especially with a king who now doubtless would have been angry uh, at being deceived. And so he and Sarah were trapped and helpless. They were humiliated by an oppressive tyrant who simply took what he wanted. Even before I get to my three points then, learn that the church at times is humbled before the world. 
uh, the church at times, this was the church at the time, Abraham and his household, uh, can be uh, suffer, can be persecuted, can feel like they do not have uh, the power of this world and at the mercy of those who are far more powerful, who are far more wealthy, who have greater numbers, uh, who seem to put God's promises in jeopardy. The bride of Christ can find itself oppressed by tyrants and enemies, by the dragon, by the serpent. God's promises often seem unlikely. Have you been reading the newspapers? Do you really think these things are going to come to pass? It's not by your power, not by your might. It's true, there are real threats, but they still shall come to pass by God's power in his way and in his timing. And that's what we find in this passage. First, God's intervention. God comes to the rescue of his covenant people. As he would later deliver Israel from Egypt, as he would deliver us from bondage to sin through the promised offspring, Jesus Christ, so he fulfills his promises here and delivers Sarah from Abimelech. He intervenes on behalf of his covenant people. This probably took a few months, enough time that the women of Abimelech's household were found to be barren. It also seems like Abimelech fell ill. Uh, He needed healing by the end of it. And so he's already perhaps been softened by the fact that there is a a curse upon the house, uh, that there is barrenness, that uh, he is, one reason or another, been unable to approach Sarah, that he perhaps has fallen ill. And then God intervenes. So first he intervenes by, by cursing Abimelech and his people as one who had dishonored Abraham, and then by provi- providentially preventing him from touching Sarah, preserving Sarah, and then third, by threatening Abimelech in a dream by night. He says, you are a dead man because you have taken another man's wife. I think Psalm 105 uh, contains kind of the exposition of this narrative, God's reflection upon this passage. In Psalm 105, I read it earlier, but I'll read it again, just verses 12 through 15. When they were few in number, of little account, and sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. God rebuked this king on account of his people. Don't touch my anointed ones. Don't harm my prophets. God warns Abimelech that he shall die for taking another man's wife. God shall judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. New Testament says that as well. Abimelech pleads that he was ignorant of the marriage. He he didn't mean to take another man's wife. God says he knew this, and it was God who had kept Abimelech from committing the sin of adultery sexually, uh, just probably for Sarah's sake, but perhaps also for Abimelech's sake, giving him a chance to repent before he would do such a great sin. In fact, God gives Abimelech a chance for repentance. He says, return her to her husband. If you don't return her, yes, you will die and your people will die. Uh, There will be consequences if, with this knowledge now, you do not do what is right. But there is a chance for repentance. Give her back. Make things right. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. 
But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So learn from this intervention of God's that he can be trusted to fulfill his promises. It might take some time. Things might look dire. But he will protect and bless his people. Despite their weakness in the eyes of the world, if God is for us, who can be against us? He will act. Learn also not to harm or dishonor God's people. Do not pick a fight with the Lord by harming his church. The Apostle Paul warns in the New Testament, the one who destroys God's temple will be destroyed by God. He said that in the context of you know, people tearing the church apart uh, by uh, divisions and, and uh, malice and, and strife and envy among the church. God loves his church, and it's the apple of his eye. The one who touches it is picking a fight with him. That's true for people uh, within the church that we should seek to love one another and build one another up. Let's uh, not be wolves or false prophets or those who are causing dissension and destruction among his church. It's true for those who are outside the church. Do not uh, harm or persecute the church. Uh, this is a sure way uh, to fall under God's displeasure. Also learn not to take advantage of strangers or to oppress the weak. He, Abimelech might not have known that Abraham was a prophet, that he had this covenant with God, but he should have been safe and just treated all strangers well, as Abraham himself treated strangers well as they came to his tent. They, they happened to be angels. He didn't know that when he served them, though. Abimelech could have done likewise, uh, treating Abraham and his household well, not simply taking Sarah. Don't take advantage of strangers. Don't oppress the weak. Uh, have mercy towards those even the stranger, even the one who cannot repay you or whom you wouldn't expect to repay you. And, of course, don't take other men's wives. Uh, don't commit adultery. That should be an obvious lesson from this passage. Uh, even the pagans knew that that was a great sin worthy of death. Murder is wrong, too, but adultery is wrong, too. Both of them are wrong. They're both forbidden by the Ten Commandments. And so one should live in uh, peace, you know, doing well, not not uh, murdering or doing violence, but also in chastity and purity, uh, treating uh, uh, each other in that way, as sisters in Christ, as sisters in all purity. So do not take other men's wives, or even lust after them, as Jesus said. So God intervenes on behalf of his people. Now, how does Abimelech respond? It's interesting that he responds a little differently than Pharaoh. Both of them were compelled by God's intervention to now honor and respect Abraham to return Sarah. But Abimelech begins to fear God and his people. Pharaoh chases Abraham out. He escorts him out. You need to get out of here. There's danger around this guy. I want him out of my land. Does Abimelech do that? No, Abimelech says, take your choice of land. And he does more than that. Pharaoh blessed Abraham before things came to a head. While he thought that Abraham was, you know, his brother-in-law, gave him all this wealth. But Abimelech gives restitution, gives wealth and riches and servants after this, as he gives Sarah back. And Abimelech acts quickly. 
This happened in a dream in the night, and he rose early in the morning to do something about it. Did he linger like Lot? Remember, Lot knew that judgment was coming, that he needed to do something to escape judgment, and yet he lingered. He didn't move right away. The angels had to grab him and get him out of the town by their hands. But Abimelech doesn't wait. He rises early in the morning. He tells his servants what's going on. He gives Sarah back. So also, you should act quickly when you are convicted of sin. When you know that you have done something wrong, don't linger. Don't wait. Act to make it right. Do not wait until temptation comes over you again and you go back upon what you know. Rise early in the morning and get to work. And Abimelech and his men feared God. They began to fear God. Abraham didn't see fear of God when he got there, but when Abimelech tells his servants, and the men were very much afraid. This was godly fear. Uh, a fear that caused them to flee from the wrath to come, to repent, to seek the Lord's favor through his prophet. Previously, they had not feared God, but now they did. They responded to God's word with godly fear. Like the king and the people of Nineveh, when they heard Jonah's message of judgment, they humble themselves. They seek uh, to repent. You should also respond to God's word with the fear of the Lord. You might not have a dream in the night, That's not the way God reveals his will anymore. Uh, But he has his word in scripture. It's being preached to you now. You read it at home. Respond to his word with godly fear, with a faith that acts upon the word. When you have a promise, embrace the promise. When you have a command, obey the command. When you have a warning, tremble at the warning. Heed it. You know, act upon his word with godly fear. Now, Abimelech first blames Abraham. He says, what, Abraham, what, what are you doing? What, why did you do this? Now I got into this big entangled mess, this great sin. What did you see that caused you to do this? You know, so similar to Pharaoh. Of course, you know, he didn't have to take Sarah. He, he didn't ask even necessarily to take Sarah. Did he really need to know this information? But, you know, he's upset. And he, but, but unlike Pharaoh, he asks Abraham, and he gives Abraham a chance to explain himself. And he seems to accept Abraham's explanation. Abraham, Abimelech gave Sarah back to Abraham, as well as sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants. Just as, you know, in, in the law, if someone stole something, not only were you supposed to like, give the sheep back, but also give another sheep or depending on the thing that's been stolen, maybe four sheep uh, back along with the one that was stolen. Because you didn't just steal it, but then you've had it during that time, which it could have been used for that person. Uh, There's various ways in which uh, just giving it back isn't enough to to, uh, really restore it, to make things right, uh, to give even more than what you took uh, to make things right. And so he gives uh, sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants along with Sarah as he repents. Not only that, but he gave Abraham a thousand pieces of silver as a sign of Sarah's innocence and to vindicate her, to honor her in the sight of all. That he had not touched her, that she was uh, pure and chaste, she had not been uh, degraded in this way, and gives her these thousand pieces of silver, which is a lot of money, uh, to her brother, uh, her, her guardian, as he tells her, 
that he has given this money to Abraham uh, to vindicate her. And so Abimelech returns what was stolen. He makes restitution. He restores Sarah's honor. He blesses Abraham with wealth. So also, when you feel convicted of sin, when you learn that you have done something wrong, you should seek to make things right. Certainly some things, all you can do is is say that you're sorry and apologize and say you are wrong. But often there's things that you can do to make things right, to try to repair the wrong that was done. Uh, As Abimelech here had, had, you know, gives Sarah back, seeks to restore her honor, seeks to uh, give restitution to uh, Abraham. So also seek to make things right when you have done wrong, to restore what you have taken and to repair the damage that you have done. Uh, That this is the way of repentance, of being sorry for what you have done, and to endeavor after new obedience, to turn from it and to do the opposite. Now, Abimelech, like I said, unlike Pharaoh, wanted Abraham to stay in his land. Once that he had found that this was a prophet of God, that God stood up for this guy, I want this guy near me, not I want to chase this guy away. Um, Abimelech had a little different relation to God than Pharaoh did. It's another sign that Abimelech had learned to revere God. Pharaoh had forced him out, but Abimelech honored God's prophet and gave him the choice of his land. So also, you ought to do good to God's people, to your brothers in Christ, to those whom God has received into his favor. Bless one another. Build one another up. Uh, How do we show love for Jesus Christ? Remember Jesus said, the things that were done unto the, the least of my brothers was done unto me. This is a way in which we show our love for Christ. To keep them near. Uh, to build them up. To honor them. Those who bless Christ and his church shall be blessed. The one who dishonors them shall be cursed. Now, in Egypt, God had fulfilled his promises simply by judging his enemies. He sent plagues and Pharaoh sent Abraham out. But in Gerar, God fulfilled his promises to protect Abraham by teaching Abimelech and his people, by his words and deeds, to fear him and Abraham. Abraham received back his wife unharmed and unviolated. But not only that, they were now respected by the king and his people, blessed with greater wealth and given permission to live on land of their own choosing. Sarah now would be able to conceive and bear Isaac in a, amid peace and security in a good land. This was a great blessing. And so God can protect his people by destroying his enemies, by killing King Herod as he persecutes the church, or he can do it by converting the Apostle Paul and turning him into an apostle from being a persecutor. I don't know if Abimelech was regenerated at this point or not, but he does learn to fear God, to not be his enemy in opposing him and destroying his people. God can change people or he can destroy people, but in one way or the other, he will protect his people, his people, and defend them. Now, God had blessed and protected Abraham and Sarah in accordance with his covenant and his steadfast love. And God would use Abraham to begin to bless this Gentile nation. And that was one of his other promises. Through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And it's through Abraham's prayer that blessing then comes upon Abimelech and his people. 
God doesn't just say, give Sarah back and I will bless you. He says, give Sarah back so that he will pray for you so that you will live. He directs him to Abraham to seek God's blessing through his prophet so that through Abraham they would be blessed. They had been cursed for dishonoring him, but now they'd be blessed for blessing him. And it's through his prayers that the repentant nation would be blessed. Abimelech would be healed and preserved from death. His wife and his female servants were healed in such a way that they began to bear children and have that blessing. The wombs had been closed because of Sarah, but now they would be opened. And also a kind of a precursor to what's going to happen in the next chapter, that God's going to open Sarah's womb too. So Abraham was a prophet, and he intercedes for Abimelech. Notice that God does not direct Abimelech to Enoch, right? He doesn't direct him to some dead saint to intercede for him. He directs him to someone who is living uh, to intercede for him. Uh, this might seem obvious, but there are people who pray to dead saints and seek their intercession. Scripture doesn't teach us that. Scripture teaches us to seek the intercession and prayers of each other, the people who can communicate with each other. Communicating with the dead is a no-no. That's forbidden in Scripture. But uh, we are to pray for one another, lift one another up in our supplications. And so he is directed to Abraham that Abraham might pray for him. Abraham also is being instructed to forgive his enemies, to bless the one who had oppressed him, and to accept his repentance. And so there is this uh, aspect of reconciliation as well as uh, intercession, which is true for us as well. As we pray for one another, we learn to love one another and to uh, forgive one another, to seek each other's good. In interceding for the penitent, Abraham is much like Job. Do you remember at the end of Job? Job's friends had done bad things. They had not spoken rightly, and so God says, bring sacrifices to offer to me with Job. Job might pray for you, and you would be forgiven, and I would not deal with you according to your folly. And so Job prays for the ones who had been persecuting him by their words so that they are forgiven. Abraham does the same thing here. It's interesting in the New Testament, in James 5, the one who is sick is told to call for the elders of the church that they might pray for him and to confess sins if needed, because that could, it's not necessarily, but it could be related to his sickness. And then as a general statement, James writes, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Certainly, you can pray directly to God, but Scripture also teaches us to seek the prayers of one another, to confess your sins to one another, to pray for one another that you might be healed. 1 John 5 talks about praying for the one who has sinned. It might not be the sin that leads unto death. Pray for him that he might be forgiven. God directs you to seek the prayers of others, uh, to confess and pray for one another. Now, Abraham also, as a prophet, is a type of, of the prophet. Who is the prophet, the priest, the king? Uh, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one in heaven whom we do pray to, who has risen from the dead, uh, who is interceding for us even now. It's through him that all the prayers of the saints are received by the Father, And he intercedes for sinners, even for his enemies, uh, those who have come to faith in him by his grace. And so through this prayer of Abraham, God makes Abraham a blessing to the people of Gerar. He begins to fulfill the promise to bless the families of the earth through him. 
The king and his people learn to seek God's blessing by associating with Abraham. To seek the true knowledge of God through Abraham. That this is a man in covenant with God. Well, see Abimelech come up in the next chapter. That he decide, desires to associate himself with Abraham. That he has learned something by this. It also teaches them to be grateful to Abraham for his prayers. May our nation be grateful to the church for its prayers. When the early Christians were persecuted in Rome, in the empire, they would say, we still pray for you. We're not going to worship the emperor, but we still pray for you, for your good, for his blessing upon you. Uh, Even as the Jews in exile prayed for the welfare of Babylon while they lived there. You know, we ought to be a blessing to our, our people, our neighborhood, our nation, um, not only through prayer, but at least through prayer, so that they uh, seek the true God. So remember that what God has done here, that he is trustworthy to fulfill his promises. These things are recorded, not just randomly because they happened. There's a lot of things that happened that are not recorded. These things are written for your instruction, that through the comfort of scripture, you might have hope. He remembers his covenant forever. Uh, He will uh, fulfill it. Uh, All the earth shall be filled with his glory. Uh, That he will bless all the nations of the earth through Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham. Uh, He continues to fulfill his promises. Even if the church is few in number, even if it is of little account, even if it is sojourners, yet they shall be the apple of his eye. He will not allow people to oppress them. Or if they do oppress them, it won't be for forever. He will come to deliver them and relieve them. He will rebuke kings on their account, on your account. Though you are humbled and persecuted, yet he shall say, touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. He shall cause nations to honor them and to bow before him. Those who bless Christ in this church shall be blessed, but the one who dishonors Christ in his church shall be cursed. Whether a person seeks to destroy the church from within or without, God stands by his covenant and against that man. But he also calls sinners to repentance, that they might be blessed. May all kings and nations learn, like Abimelech, to fear the living God, to seek his blessing through repentance, by making things right, by turning from their wicked ways, to go to his prophet, to the Lord Jesus Christ, that they might be saved. God has raised up the promised offspring, Jesus Christ, that all the nations of the earth might be blessed through him. To him be all glory and honor. Let us pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your grace towards us sinners, that though by nature we are children of wrath, that you have given us your word, even as you gave your word to Abimelech, that we might turn from our wicked ways, that we might be convicted of sin for our blessing, that we might learn to fear you and to seek your salvation. We pray that you would protect your church. We pray that you would deliver us from evil, that you would restore it, that it might worship you in purity and liberty. We pray that you would extend your kingdom and cause all 
peoples and nations, the powerful and the weak, together to worship you in spirit and in truth through the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, that you would comfort your people in this, that we might stand fast and inherit the promises. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.